0: Acts 29 exists to serve in the goal of planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Planting churches is a mechanism to get us to the goal which is the glory of God. We plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. This is the Acts 29 podcast. I'm Tony Merida. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches. In this podcast, various pastors, theologians, and innovators will share stories and insights to help you serve Christ's church more faithfully and effectively. Today's podcast, we welcome Stephen Ecker. Stephen is Professor of Church History and Reformation Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and on this podcast, we are talking about the Reformation and church planting in light of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Tony. Glad to be here.
0: So uh, Stephen Ecker, Professor of Church History and Reformation Studies, one of my favorite uh, professor's colleague for uh, several years now um, it's unfortunate that we're it's just audio on this podcast because you really need to see Stephen Ecker to know um, just what a, a very you know interesting you can't explain Stephen you have to experience Stephen really uh, we're talking about a guy here who Stephen already 40
1: we're not supposed to talk numbers <laughs> 41
0: 41 he's got the highlights rocking Stephen is always wearing MJ's and so uh, he's got a little underground business going, I think, actually, with MJ's. He knows a lot of 80s hip-hop. He and I just sort of uh, work it in occasionally in, in casual conversation. Um, got a, a beautiful wife, kids, and uh, just an all-around great dude. Loves the local church and is uh, an expert on Reformation history. So, obviously, this podcast is uh, devoted to talking about the Reformation, uh, October 31st. Uh, we will recognize, uh, at least traditionally, uh, as the date of uh, Martin Luther's nailing the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, as Luther was protesting the, uh, the message uh, that was being proclaimed by the church, the authority of the church, many other things that were, were going on there. There's a lot of uh, dispute about particular matters, I think, around the Reformation, but what is undisputable is that Luther... Uh, along with some of the other Reformers, lit up the world with uh, this recovery of the gospel. Uh, And so I thought it would be good for us to, uh, in light of a 500-year anniversary—we don't get this opportunity very often—to talk about the Reformation um, just in general, uh, and then what do the Reformers teach us about church planting in particular? So Stephen, I'm curious uh, why a guy like you would be interested in church history. When did uh, Reformation history in particular just come alive for you?
1: Yeah, well, quite honestly, um, I came to the Reformers by way of the uh, early Church Fathers. The more that I originally studied the Fathers, the more that I kept realizing that I was having a hard time reading them and understanding them uh, in their own context. I kept looking at them through the lens of the Reformation, and so uh, once I finally started really sitting down in and reading and and sort of steeping in the, in the, the context and the lives of the Reformers, the more that I... The more that I really grew to love them, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I sort of landed there because of Reformation theology proper, loving you know their thoughts and their ideas. But uh, my real affinity for the reformers finally came when I started looking at them as people, when I started looking at them for their great gifts, their humor, their but also their faults, their failings as people. Uh, and so once I started to really actually look at the people. Behind the ideas and behind the words and the great theological treatises, then I began to really sort of grow in my my development and love for, for them.
0: So as you've studied through the years, who would you say would be your personal favorite?
1: Ah, that's like asking me which uh, one of my four daughters is is my favorite. Uh, I really have a strong affinity for the Swiss Reformers in particular, so I'm fond of Zwingli and Bullinger, uh, Martin Bucer, a very pastoral figure. Uh, I love the Swiss Anabaptists, the, the radical dissidents of, of the Swiss Confederation. Uh, I also love to read Erasmus. I tell my students all the time, if you want to learn to argue well and write well, uh, read Desiderius Erasmus. He's a, a true gift.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you didn't mention Luther. Um, he gets most of the attention, right, This, uh, at least for the anniversary. Um, Luther, I was, I was just reading that uh, some report, he never saw a Bible till he was about 20 years old which is just fascinating to me. Uh, he then comes to faith, it seems, uh, through study of Romans in particular, right, um, in Romans chapter 1, um, and then went on to debate. Uh, John Eck uh, went on to uh, make that bold declaration at uh, Worms in uh, 15, was it 21? Um, and, um, but talk to us about the religious climate of the day uh, as we're thinking here as well about church planting globally. Um, there are some places that are still like that, right, where the Bible is, is just absent, nobody's reading a Bible. Um, talk to us about the culture of Luther's day. What was, what was that like? Uh, because people were religious— um, but obviously not a, pe- a lot of people had a Bible.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, one of the things that we think about with the Reformation, rightfully so, is the recovery of the Bible. Um, we talk about the advancement of Gutenberg's movable-type printing press that really allows for uh, the wide dissemination of the Bible and so on. And, and as you rightly state, Luther you know, would have been quite unfamiliar with the Bible uh, as, a, as a young man. Uh, the reality, though, is that you've got to remember the context, even if you assume Bibles, uh, Bibles assume literacy, and most studies today show that most of the population, I mean, the conservative estimates are in the cities, in the urban centers, literacy may have peaked at about 30 percent across most of Western culture and society. It was probably closer to 5 percent, and so it's not just about access to the Bible physically, it's actually access to a learning. So, one of the great gifts of the reformers, yes, Luther, when he, it, over the course of, of 11 weeks, translates the New Testament into his beloved German. I mean, that's a great gift, but Luther. Uh, Zwingli, Calvin, these guys also made tremendous contributions when it comes to expanding education to make sure that people could actually have the tools required to read the text. And, and for them, it was it was expanding that to both boys and girls. One of the things that I love about the, the Reformers is they really didn't show a bias towards the genders. They were really interested in making sure that both men and women had access to uh, ultimately to God. God's Word. Hmm.
0: Now, um, I went to Germany recently with, uh, with some of our elders. You recommended to us the book Brand Luther. I'm going I'm to ask for some more resources here in a moment, but uh, that book in particular highlights uh, the impact of the printing press on the, the Reformation. You've alluded to some of that. Talk to us about kind of uh, the culture of the times, especially with, with the printing press, uh, art, um, 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 other means of communicating. Uh, the gospel, um, any relationship with today? What what do we have to learn about sort of gospel advancement through various uh, uh, means of communication?
1: Yes, it's really important to remember. Again, if you have a culture that's largely illiterate, this is one of the reasons why the church for years had used all sorts of imagery, artistic renderings, icons as a way of mediating to the lay people, the uneducated, the message of the gospel. And so when Luther comes along, as he begins to offer his own corrective and criticism of the late medieval Roman Catholic Church, he too taps into sort of the rise and the wave of of the Renaissance artists. And so for him, the relationship is not just about getting content and ideas in the literature to the people. It's also about, in some way, Capturing through vivid portrayals and pictures that message. And so, for instance, uh, one of the most important figures of the Reformation that nobody's ever heard of is Lucas Cronach, who was a close friend of Luther's, who was the one who really gives us what we understand Luther to look like through uh, paintings and portraits. Uh, What Cronach does that's so critical to both Luther's Bible, his pamphlet literature, and other things is he interprets Luther in artistic renderings to a population that, again, still largely cannot read. And so uh, the the depictions of things like heaven and hell, judgment, uh, it, was, it was not uncommon for the ideas of theological treaties like freedom of a Christian or Babylonian captivity of the church to have important ideas in the words. But then Cronach and some of the other artistic people of their day, they would encapsulate those ideas in images and ideas that the peasants could then grab hold of and really put uh, put eye uh, to what it was that Luther was ultimately saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when you think about Luther, too, then, um, he wasn't just a theologian, was he? He was a savvy guy using printing press, using uh, chronox art, and other means. Like, when I was reading Brand Luther, I was just... Um, because it, uh, the book doesn't deal so much with the spiritual life of Luther, though it does at some level, but it's dealing more culturally with what was going on and what Luther was doing sort of even outside, um, you know, that, that hard translation of the Bible into German. Um, but I was really impressed just with Luther as a, as a sort of forward thinker.
1: Yeah, so forward thinker. Um, he's involved in a lot of things. I mean, there's. I think there's really an untapped aspect to Luther's involvement in the politics of the day. I mean, he is really sort of serving as a bridge between the church and the state and what's going on politically. Obviously, uh, there's an an interesting relationship with Frederick the Wise there, the elector of Saxony, uh, who is the one who's protecting Luther. They they never even meet in person, uh, and so th- there's, there's all these interesting aspects of what Luther's doing in politics. Of course, he's preaching a lot, he's pastorally shepherding uh, people, he has throngs of students who are now pouring into Wittenberg later as a part of the Reformation, who are coming to hear him teach, both in the lecture hall and at table through his is very famous table talk discussions and so on. So I mean, he is—he's a picture of a busy guy. And yet, one of the things that I love about him is, in all that Luther was doing in the busyness of life, uh, there are still these amazing glimpses of his involvement to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. Uh, I, one of my favorite things that Luther wrote is, uh, he wrote a little work to his barber exhorting his barber how to pray and mm-hmm. i'm sitting here thinking in the midst of the reformation he takes the time to write to a friend somebody who basically has him as a captive audience to in turn give him some words of wisdom on how to actually come before the Father mm. in intercession and prayer. And so yes, mm. these are theological people, they're constantly thinking on the deep things of God, uh, but they're also just like just like us, Tony. I mm. mean they're involved in all sorts of aspects mm-hmm. of their children's lives, the mm. lives of those in, in their churches and in their communities.
0: Yeah, except I don't have a barber, but I I know exactly what you're talking about, Stephen. I know you go a couple times a week, so that would be a lot of letters, perhaps, to your your barber that you could uh, you guys could talk about, you know, multiple times uh, during the week. I love that anecdote. There's so many admirable traits about Luther. Here in a moment, I ask you about some negative uh, uh, examples of Luther's life that we should avoid. But um, one of the things I've brought out to our congregation in the last couple of weeks is um, Luther enduring opposition. Um, And uh, just how Martin Luther King Jr., his dad changed his name, I think it was in 1934 or something like that. He went to Berlin, went to a pastor's conference, was so impressed by uh, Luther that he changed his name, then changed his son's name, who I think was five at the time. It was Michael King, Uh, and so became Martin Luther King Jr. And you just look at um, the—they were both Reformers, um, you know, on different levels of— of uh, emphasis, I guess you could say, but both of them endured great opposition. Of course, MLK Jr. assassinated Martin Luther, wasn't assassinated, but um, was an outlaw, wasn't he? Uh, Dressed up like a woman at one time and took on an alias. Um, And then he had all the bouts of, uh, you know, discouragement, physical ailments, um, digestive problems, all all the problems that we deal with in a fallen world. Uh, and and endured and, and persevered. Uh, again, obviously had some serious flaws, I think we want to acknowledge. But what are some, some other admirable traits that you would highlight about Luther, particularly as you think about speaking to church planters? Like, what are some characteristics about his life, his ministry, that, that we do want to try to emulate?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, just to step back for a moment and look at Luther from a macro perspective, uh, you look at all that he did, both as a preacher as a pastor, as a reformer, as a father, as a, as a husband. Uh, he was a busy guy, right? And uh, I think that as I think about church planters today— I mean, what what job today, and what aspect of ministry is more busy, or you know, sort of burdened or laden with uh, tasks and duties and responsibilities than the church planter, who basically never has any time off? And so, uh, I look at Luther, and I see some encouragement there. That in many respects, much of what he learned in an Augustinian monastery in Erfurt translated into what he would do then as a church planner. And so I tell guys all the time who are interested in sort of catching this new, uh, you know, sort of Hollywood-driven wave of of church planning and all the excitement and stuff with it, that, listen, church planning is really, really hard, and it's cumbersome, and it's labor-intensive and time-intensive. And so that requires guys who are willing to sort of pour themselves out for their planting endeavors Mm. and for the sake of the gospel and so Mm. uh you know if 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 one of your your go-to's is is laziness and apathy and so on you know probably this is not the the ministry for you so Mm. i think with with that luther's luther's work ethic the other thing that, that i think with him is again in all of this, Luther was always about sort of maintaining the main thing. And even though, yes, Luther is very much uh, a situational theologian, he's constantly addressing what's coming to him in the waves of controversy, whether it's dealing with Rome on one side, dealing with the radical dissidents and the rise of the Zwickau prophets and and folks like that, or addressing the difficulties of, of relating to other reformers. In the midst of all of that, he's still able, to maintain his focus on the gospel that, that drove and dictated everything that he did in his life. And so I think for, for planters out there, I can, I can only imagine how your attention can be drawn into so many other aspects of life and ministry, but to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, that the gospel is first, that the gospel saturates into all those aspects of what it is that you're doing uh, in that ministry. Mm.
0: As you think about some some things we want to avoid from the reformers, may, maybe not just with Luther, but as as you scan church history, we always see that these these guys had feet of clay, uh, like us, uh, flawed individuals. What are some things we want to avoid?
1: Yeah, this is where the reformers, uh, as much as they give us a lot to admire and to look up to, there's these are flawed men and flawed women, and so. Um, I take great comfort in looking at them as for their humanity. And so for Calvin, for instance, uh, when Calvin was first went to Geneva, uh, he was eventually kicked out and he sort of tail between his legs, went to the city of Straussburg and and he was uh, ministered to by Martin Bootser. And and Bootser was a figure who very just very succinctly and pointedly told Calvin you've got a you've got a sin problem with anger this is something you're going to have to work on mm-hmm. um and one of the things that i love about that relationship between martin buchers sort of a spiritual father figure to to calvin that i decry about luther himself is especially in luther's later life he he did not surround himself with people who could speak correction into his life and so um, you know, whether you're talking about Luther's later writings uh, against the Jews, his writings against uh, the Turks, and so on, uh, there was there was always this Luther, especially at the end of his life, that was almost unapproachable and unassailable. And when when pastors and planters find themselves sort of cloistered in isolation, feeling as if they have it all figured out and they are on the right track— That's That, Tony, is a really dangerous, Mm -hmm. dangerous place to be. And so I would just encourage people to to follow the path of of somebody like Calvin in this vein and find and make sure that you have people who are willing and able to speak truth into your life and and to really create that that network. Mm
0: -hmm. Love that. Love that. So important. Um, Did the Reformers, um, Luther, Calvin... Um, others, uh, those early reformers, were they into church planting? I guess one could say they planted the Protestant Church <laughs> uh, uh, in the recovery of the gospel. But were they were they um, active in trying to to uh, make disciples of all nations, establish local congregations, um, or was that a later development? How would you how would you, how do we think about them in terms of just church planting?
1: Yeah, so whether you're thinking about something like church planning, missions, the proclamation and the spread of the gospel making disciples, I think one thing it's important to do is to distinguish between the first and the second generation reformers on this. Uh, And the reason why this is important is because of the context, which is something that church planners should be keenly apt to to pay attention to is is the context in which they're ministering so you take the idea of uh, of acts 1 where jesus talks about taking the gospel first to jerusalem then to judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth so before you can think about taking it to to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, things have to be sort of sorted out in Jerusalem and Judea. And so, yes, we can look at Luther and we can say, well, Luther doesn't really have a mind to getting the gospel to places outside of Germany or you're certainly not you know, into the, the uttermost parts of the world, but that's because for him— the gospel was either being veiled or lost in his own beloved country. And so rather than focusing externally, he was very much concerned that his own Jerusalem not just find and see what the true gospel was, but to taste of the true gospel and to ultimately see the fruits of that in their own lives. Now, that's very different when you come to somebody like John Calvin. And I think in some respects, Calvin's own experience, just like Luther was a a German figure who was largely thinking within his context of Germany. Well, Calvin's a Frenchman, but he's also living as an exile in Geneva. And so one of the things I love about Calvin is As somebody who's living in a context where the gospel is not only being preached and proclaimed, listen, Tony, you know the history here. I mean, it was preached a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Geneva, mandated preaching services that people had to, by law, attend. But Calvin never lost sight of his beloved France. And Mm -hmm. even though he was unable to go back... Part of his reason for constructing the Genevan Academy was that the truth of the gospel might be realized both in Geneva, but then that gospel taken back by young planters, uh, men who were willing to to go back into a thoroughly Catholic environment. Uh, we see the same thing as well took place in England. Uh, when the Protestants were kicked out of England under the reign of Mary, Bloody Mary, they made their way as exiles to places like Zurich and Geneva, where they were steeped in Reformed and Covenantal theology and the teachings of Zwingli and Calvin, and then when Elizabeth comes back to the throne, they returned back to England. John Knox returns back to Scotland, and they begin to, to start a renewal of m- movements in their own churches there back in the British Isles.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, I take it you think church planters should study the Reformers? Uh, if so, uh, where should they start? What are some good resources?
1: Yeah, so I would encourage you, first of all, um, to read the Reformers. Uh, It's one of the things that as a historian, uh, I lament is the fact that so many people align themselves with figures through terms like Lutheranism and Calvinism and memorial views of of the supper and so on, but they never actually sit down and read these figures. So first of all, I would just say this, read Calvin, read Luther, read Zwingli, read, read um, the Reformers themselves, and don't just do a selective reading. So, you know, for most guys, they're, they're familiar with Calvin's Institutes, but dive into, into Calvin's biblical commentaries. Read his letters if you want to understand him. Uh, outside of that, there's there's some tremendous biographies that exist out there. You mentioned the Brand Luther book, uh, who's actually was actually written by a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Andrew Pedigree. Uh, I think the Calvin biography by Bruce Gordon is arguably one of the best biographies. Uh, from from the era. Uh, there's good biographies out there on, on Thomas Cramner. Uh, there's a lot of accessible stuff uh, on Luther himself. I still think one of, even though it's super old, one of the best biographies is Here I Stand by Roland Bainton. It's still sort of stand the test of time, as it were. Um, but you know, just just you can use a survey textbook to go out and find these these figures. But um, you know, and the other thing is with the reformers. One thing I would encourage guys to do is look beyond the main figures. We know about Luther and Zwingli and Calvin. But read some of the Anabaptists and read about the, the, the Swiss radicals. Uh, there are some incredible women from the period. I love that we've got biographies on, on Katie Luther. Uh, it sort of gives you the interplay of what Luther's home looked like, her important impact. Um, Katharina Schutzel. Uh, was an important figure. Uh, Argula von Grumbach was a a great woman of the the German pamphlet wars. I mean, there's lots of incredible figures. Um, If you just take the time to sort of dive deep and to look out and find them, their writings are there, the the secondary literature and biographies are there.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, folks, 500th anniversary of the Reformation coming up. Um, Perhaps nail something to your door. Uh, Read one of these biographies um, and... uh, I think, uh, again, as uh, Dr. Ecker has said, we we owe an incredible debt to people who uh, have passed on the gospel uh, generation to generation and uh, now is in our hands. And we have the uh, responsibility uh, and the privilege of of preaching uh, the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, on the basis of Scripture alone. uh, And what a privilege it is. And so uh, I hope the podcast has been encouraging uh, to you. Stephen, thanks so much for taking time to be with us.
1: Hey, yeah, glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Axe 29 Podcast. For more information on Axe 29, visit Axe29.com.